I was completely lied to. A buddy of mine in high school invited me uh, to play basketball at a church. And I'm like, eh, church isn't my thing. I really don't fit in there. I'm not religious. Kind of leave me alone. And he's like, oh, hold on, hold on. There's going to be a potluck. And then we're going to play basketball. And I'm like, well, what's a potluck? And he's like, well, everybody basically brings their favorite dish. It's free, and everybody eats like crazy. And I'm like, I'm in. Let's do this. What time? Well, I was lied to. He said, hey, show up at 11 o'clock. We'll, we'll hang out. We'll do the potluck, and uh, we'll play some basketball. And I'm like, sweet. Well, I get dressed. I just got my, uh, my license. I put my, my sneakers on, put my shorts on. I put my Spurs jersey, David Robinson, and I head off to church. 11 o'clock, thinking, hey, potluck and basketball. What happens at 11 o'clock at church? Church! Church happens at 11 o'clock, not potluck. So I walk in, and immediately, as soon as the door closes behind me, I'm in the wrong place, and I'm at the wrong time, because I am really an outsider. I don't look like everybody else. Um, I walk in and maybe my face turns red and maybe I start hyperventilating or something. But basically what I see is a bunch of adults in nice suits. Uh, ladies have big flowing dresses. A couple of them have hats on. And I'm like, oh, 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 wrong place, wrong place. And I start to kind of back out. But since I've got sneakers on and there's like cement, I go squeak. And it's kind of like the movies where everybody's like, And of course, I'm like, oh, oh, hi. Um, and I will never, ever, ever forget the reaction of that wonderful, beautiful church. Because they had it in their power to be like, oh, who's that guy? Shun the non-believer. He looks strange. But they didn't. They, they, they got into a line to shake my hand. They came up to me to, to hug me. And I still felt weirded out because I, I don't know any of these people and church isn't my thing and now there's people really paying attention to me and I'm ready for basketball and they're ready for church. I, I went to church that day and it was strange. I went to the potluck and it was wonderful. <laughs> Played basketball, had a good time. And when I left, I noticed on my Spurs jersey when I looked down the, a little line of makeup. Sweet, sweet little grandmas coming up and hugging the new guy. That little line of makeup has stayed with me. I mean, no, I'm taking a shower. But it's stayed with me because they were so welcoming for the outsider that didn't fit in, that didn't look the part, act the part, speak the part. I will forever remember that. A few years after high school, um, I'm now a Christian, believer in Christ. I don't know anything about Jesus besides he's a big deal and I need to do something about that. I'm at a church camp uh, for high school students. Somebody decided, hey, you're 21, you should be the dorm dad. You should hang out and be the responsible one with all these high school students. Well, it didn't work out as well as it sounded. All week, all week, um, there was one high school guy in particular that he struggled. I mean, he struggled both with attitude and actions and words, energy, being in the right place at the right time, or just flat out kicking people into the pool. And so it was my job with other adult leaders to come beside him and, and to love on him and help him be a part of our group, be from the outside, not being a part of a church. He was a friend of a friend. It wasn't part of any congregation um, to help him kind of understand how we did things and, and not to pick on people or say ridiculous, horrible things and 
and hurt people's feelings. So all week long, it was, it was our job to love on him, and we prayed with him. We, we had conversations with him. We even called his mom and said, hey, you, you got to talk to this guy. We love him, and we want him here, but we, we're going to have to kick him out, you know, unless you talk him into something. Well, at the end of the week, um, parents are coming to pick up their kiddos, and I had an opportunity to show this high school guy the love that I was given as an outsider just a year's previous, but I blew it. Uh, he, uh, he made a horrific remark that I obviously can't say in church um, about a family who came up to pick up their freshman boy. Basically, he said something ridiculous. Um, mom started crying. Students started crying. The dad made the right call, looked at him and said, I can't believe you just said that. How dare you? Turned his head, got in the car and left. I physically picked him up, brought him inside, closed the door, and for the next two minutes, I made sure he knew he was on the outside. I made sure he knew exactly how he misbehaved, exactly how he hurt people's feelings, exactly how he's fallen short, exactly what he's done wrong the entire week. And I said, how dare you, how dare you, you don't belong here. 14 years of youth ministry, and that's probably the most embarrassing thing I've ever done. I don't know where that guy is today, but I'm pretty sure he left that camp saying, you know what, I'm on the outside, and why would I be on the inside because of that John Muffler guy? Two very similar stories of an outsider coming in, but two very different conclusions. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I struggle sometimes understanding that outsiders' behavior, how they look, how they act, how they speak, how they walk, what they drive, where they live, it's fine. God loves them beyond belief. How dare I look at them and say, eh, you don't fit in here. If you're anything like me, we struggle with that. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We struggle making snap judgments, mentally placing someone inside or outside of a box based on baggage past experiences, even preferences. This is kind of a silly haha, but I'm not a big country music guy. That's okay if you are, no big deal. We're probably not going to connect and do a hoedown, or I don't even know what that, that means. Um, I don't own boots. Uh, I, I really don't get country music. Uh, if you wanted to hang out and have a conversation after church, I'd shake your hand, and we could talk baseball, and we could talk Jesus. If you want to talk about the Cubs, I'll pray for you, because I'd feel bad for you. As a Cardinal fan... My first thought is, oh, bless his, bless his heart. But we might not connect on everything, but, but what we do sometimes is we look at the outside and we truly do judge the book by the cover. I've got some silly pictures that give some illustrations. Uh, the first one that's going to come up is my buddy Tyler. Tyler is uh, the junior high minister here at Sherwood Oaks Christian Church, and I love him. He's doing a fantastic job with both students and adults. What's the first thing you notice about Tyler? Did you notice the guy doing amazing things for the kingdom, or did you notice his, his underwear? <laughs> I had to talk him into this. He's normally very conservative. Uh, <laughs> the next one, uh, I don't want to give away which arm mine is. <laughs> Tattoos. Sometimes we look at a tattoo and go, oh. Or you look at Sleeping Beauty and go, oh. Your first gut reaction based on preferences, based on past experiences, if you grew up with people with tattoos or not. The next one I love, um, 
biker guy. Now, you might look at him and be like, oh, tattoos, leathers, on a motorcycle, or you might know him as Dave. Dave the biker guy, who loves his family, who loves Jesus beyond belief, who is actually using his motorcycle and his tattoos and uh, his leathers to reach people that are outsiders, that don't normally come to church because he wants them to understand that Jesus loves them so very much. And the last one, and I know there's an unwritten rule, it might even be written, that you just don't talk about politics. But boy, I tell you what, I've seen mature Christians loving on each other, then all of a sudden somebody brings up politics, and a knife comes out of somewhere. I have no idea where. And people get so angry and so frustrated, like, oh, you're a... I'm not even going to say the word. Whatever it is. We... I often struggle with looking at somebody quickly, making a snap judgment. Oh, you're that kind of person. You must be an outsider. Or will you act or you speak or you say you must be an outsider? Today, we're going to be continuing our series on the summit, God doing amazing things on top of mountains. We're going to be looking at uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. So if you want, you can open up your Bibles. If you brought those, if you've got an electronic Bible, I'm a big fan of technology, um, open that up. Uh, There's also Pew Bibles, Matthew 7. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount is three chapters, uh, five, six, and seven. And Jesus says some amazing things. Basically, we find Jesus, his disciples, uh, walking around, teaching, preaching, loving on people, and they've amassed a crowd behind them. I mean, there is people galore. And so what Jesus says, I'm I'm just going to go up on this mountain. Don't think Rockies here. When we say mountain, we say large hill. This was not a very mountainous terrain. He didn't climb up a sheer cliff. He was basically on a hill looking down at his disciples, the insiders, people that were sold out to God's reign on this earth and trying so hard to follow after and figure out this Jesus guy. And then behind his disciples was the crowds. Now the crowd was there basically for a couple reasons, and it's not spiritual. It was food because Jesus fed them miraculously, and they were being healed. Jesus had compassion on the crowds. They were not there to be like, oh, Jesus, man, can you autograph my Bible? No, they were just there like, man, I'm hungry, and wow, that was amazing. Did you see that guy? He can walk now. So this huge crowd was following Jesus. So he walks up this this good-sized hill, sits down with his insiders in front of him, the disciples, and the outsiders, the crowd, because the the crowd wasn't there for spiritual nutrients. They were not there to be like, man, I can't wait to become, no, no, no. They were just there because they were trying to get fed. He looks at these two different groups, and then the Sermon on the Mount is this series of messages, teachings. Um, it could have been a church service that lasted 10 hours, I don't know. But he directly look at the, looked at the insiders and said, this is all about the kingdom of God. How God, insiders, and outsiders interact with each other. How we treat people, how we love people, how we take care of people, how we invite people. When Jesus sits down and starts teaching, it was insiders, here's information. Outsiders, here's your invitation to go from being outside of a relationship with Christ, outside the kingdom of God, to inside being a disciple, being a follower of Christ, working on your relationship. So, Matthew 7, we're going to start off. Verse, uh, let's just, 1 and 2. Do not, and this is, this is not easy stuff, but we're going we're gonna to get through it, and I know you're going to love it. 
Money back guarantee. Uh, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He's talking again to his disciples. Insiders, insiders, be careful. Be careful that you don't live a lifestyle of judgment. Be careful that you don't live a lifestyle of, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that family. Well, you know what? I've messed up, but man, I am so much better than, whoa, you got to be kidding me, that family. Be wary because he says when we judge, we put ourselves in the position of saying we are better and they are less. We are putting putting ourselves in the position of actually Jesus because there is one judge. There is one God, and we best not take his job. We need to be reminded that we are all on a level playing field. I believe this, and I would imagine a lot of you do, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all had rebellion against God at one time, insiders. And no matter what it is, we're all on the same playing field. We need Jesus. No matter what our past is, no no matter what our present is, no matter if it's robbing a bank or stealing a stamp, I don't know but we're all on the same level. So he says, be careful because if, if you dish out judgment and judgment and judgment, you are separating yourself from God. You are separating yourself from outsiders and you're gonna be even separating yourself from insiders. He says, be wary, be careful, don't live that kind of lifestyle. We are unfit judges. Since we all have had sin, since we've all had re- uh, rebellion, it is difficult for us to look at somebody else and say, Even though I've messed up, your stuff's more. Your stuff's harder. So he's be careful of that lifestyle. In verse 3 to 5, Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention? Pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. That's a pretty absurd statement. Two by four in your eye. How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and you'll see clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye. He's not teaching us to give up or throw out critical thinking. At all, actually. He's again reminding the insiders that he's speaking to. When you deal with one another, insiders, followers of Christ, be careful how you speak, how you act, how you walk. When you yourself is just kind of jaded and and, and messed up and broken, like me, it is ridiculous and hypocritical of us to look at somebody else and say, but you, but you, you've got that gauge in your ear, and boy, that's ridiculous, or man, that tattoo, or man, you drive way too fast. Whatever from your opinion or your baggage or your perspective is, how dare we not take care of our stuff first so that we can then love on somebody else? Matter of fact, he is calling us out that in this journey, insiders, together as a family, we should realize that we have something ridiculous in our lives, painful, brokenness, and that we should start cooperating with God and healing and even healing with other people. He's saying, Walk with somebody else so that that plank can be removed. That way you can see clearer. That way everybody, everybody can understand that this journey, of getting to a better understanding of Christ is what everybody's on. It's this journey. It's not, you know, you get baptized and everything's great and I'm a super great Christian. It's not. It's a journey. He says, be careful. Be wary of that. Um, we're expen- we are expected to be sensitive to the failures of others and lovingly help. But only 
only after we've realized we are in the position that we need help as well. We have a fatal tendency to exaggerate the faults in others and minimize ourselves. Look at, looking at ours and saying, we've got somewhat of a problem, but man, that guy over there. He says, begin, be wary, be wary. Our attitudes and behaviors towards others, uh, we are to play neither the judge nor the hypocrite, but the brother. We are not in a position, we are not in authority to say, you are wrong and I am right. We are not even in a position of saying, you are wrong and boy, there's nothing wrong with me at all, man, so you're just out of luck. Actually, he calls us to be brothers and sisters in Christ. If we understand that we are all under one Father, we have one God, and this giant family is one family of brothers and sisters in Christ, we've been called to the kingdom of God that interacts with each other in a loving, graceful way. Instead of passing out judgment, we're passing out grace. Instead of passing out judgment um, for our fellow believers, we pass out grace. And Really, the big deal here, he's saying, again, speaking to the insiders, it's now spilling over in the crowds and saying, here's your invitation. You are invited to this family. I'm making the assumption that a lot of you in here are insiders, have been at this church or some church for a long, long time. There are some of you that you might consider yourself an outsider, and we'll talk real quick, just in a few seconds, about how you feel, and hopefully you feel welcomed. But we are called to reach out to outsiders, love them, let them understand through our grace and not our judgment, through our grace and not, not our condemnation, that Jesus is a big deal. Let's skip down to verse 12. And you're going to love this one. If you're an insider, you've heard it before. Verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you have, have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus gives us insiders cliff notes to everything we need to know. Love God. Love others. And make sure that you're following this code or idea of family. Take care of other people. Instead of self-love, instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to worry about what's best for me. What's the greatest thing for John Muffler? I'm, I'm not just going to worry about Stacy, my wife, or my kids, because that's good. But I'm going to worry about people that, that hurt me. I'm going to worry about people that want to see me fail. I want to set them up for good. I want to give them good things. This is so countercultural. This entire Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies and take care of others before you take care of yourself. This is ridiculous. The world says, no, 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 take care of yourself. Have the toys. Have the money. Have the stuff. Retire early. Be that guy that everybody envies. And Jesus is saying, love others more than yourself. Actively look to set somebody else up for success before you set yourself up for success. And again, the outsiders will look in and say, I, I, I want some of that. That's awesome. That, that's that invitation. When we treat each other with love and grace and not judgment, others are going to look inside and be like, oh, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. Because of this statement, there should be no moral, moral high grounds. There should be no extra rules, application forms, behavior modifications for anyone outside looking in. We should just love outsiders. Okay, so now that we've looked at a little bit of uh, a small section of the Sermon on the Mount, um, how do we go from, you know what, every once in a while, yeah, I use my words, and yeah, I use my actions, maybe even, um, you know, behind the scenes, making sure that other people are, are not getting what they want so I can get what I want, or, or making sure outsiders know that they're outside, or at least just not even inviting them in. So what are a few things that we can do about that? We need, number one, to train ourselves to look past the sin and see the hurting person. In John 8, it gives us a story of Jesus hanging out probably with his disciples and the religious leaders of the time 
walk up and throw a woman on the ground. This woman was just caught in a sexual scandal. I have no idea what she's wearing. I have no idea what her attitude is, but I would imagine she is in immense pain. Notice that they didn't throw anybody else in front of Jesus, just the woman. And they say to Jesus, hey, you know what? This woman did a horrible, ridiculous thing. Judge her so that we can stone her, so that we could kill her. Jesus takes a breath, looks at this woman, and sees past her actions and sees the human being, sees that she's somebody's mother, somebody's daughter, somebody's sister, maybe somebody's wife, somebody's best friend. He looks at her, looks at the crowd and says, if any any of you haven't done anything wrong, if, if any of you don't have any rebellion, if any of you don't have any sin, yeah, go for it. And the crowd slowly but surely dispersed. Not because of what she did was right, because he was offering her grace over judgment. He was offering her grace because he didn't look at her and say, you are a sum of your sin. You are the sum or the equivalent of what you've done wrong in this world. He just looked at her and said, hey, Susan, probably not Susan, hey, Susan, you are a human being that's hurting, and I care for you beyond belief. Don't do this again because you're going to cause more pain. But he looked at the human being, and that's what he's calling us to do. Not just look at the outside influence. Now, don't look just at the, the biker guy. Don't just look at the, the homeless guy on, on, on Kirkwood and say, well, you made your own choices, buddy. Look past the circumstances and look at the human being. Reading a book, um, Jesus Is by Jonah Smith, Judah Smith, excuse me. And he says he was kind of working through the same thing. And one of the chapters uh, is basically, Jesus is a friend of sinners. And he says, you know, this judgment thing has really gotten him down, and he was working on it, and he's like, hey, there was kind of some stages that I went through, and I want to share those with you. Um, because it helped me. Uh, the first one is, I'm a good person. I am justified on criticizing bad people. There's so much wrong with this sentence, but I've been there. I'm morally right. I've done the right thing, and obviously you're a bad, bad person because you don't. That makes the assumption that I'm, I'm good. Am I good? Are you good? You could be better than somebody else, but that doesn't mean that we're good, and it doesn't mean that other person is bad. Number two, I'm a good person, but I should show compassion to bad people. That's the next step. I'm still great. I'm still a good person, man. I got it all together. Man, I just feel kind of bad for that guy, though. Next thought is, I'm a sinner who needs just as much help as the next guy. I feel like that's where I'm in. That's where I'm at most of my life. And I hope that's maybe where you're at, if not number four. But we look at it and say, you know what? We are on the same boat. We've all fallen short. We all need Jesus Christ because without him, we have no hope. We have no hope. And he is full of grace and hope. And the last one, I'm loved by Jesus just as I am. And so is everyone else. This helps our attitudes from here's the normal Christian culture person to there is no normal doesn't matter what you look like, no matter how rich you are, what you wear, what you drive. You are a child of God that is loved beyond belief, and we all need Jesus. And I loved that. I worked through that, and I loved that. Second, we need a new strategy on how we can help outsiders become insiders. Um, let's not make it difficult. Our Christian culture or religious culture sometimes puts hoops that people have to jump through so they can fit in. And that's harsh. 
Let's look at um, the has-been. I, I don't know if you've seen this before. This has been quite popular. Um, the believe, behave, and belong. Uh, so if somebody lies to you or connives you and, and you come to church for a potluck and you hear about Jesus, you're like, hey, Jesus, that's great. And you believe. People are like, that's fine. Now you need to dress like this, act like this, talk like this, go to this Bible study. Well, you need to date this kind of girl. And all these different hoops that you've got to go through that, that some are, are very positive, but at the same time, we are setting up roadblocks for people that are on the outside that wanted to go inside so they can have this relationship with Christ and be part of this family. And then you can belong. Once you behave, you can be part of the family. Oh, that hurts my heart. What could be, though, is what I would love to challenge us today. Sherwood Oaks. What could be is the belong, believe, become. Getting my hair cut yesterday, had a quick story uh, with the young lady cutting my hair. Came up that I went to Sherwood Oaks Christian Church, and her reaction was, oh, the big church. I'll take that, that's fine. She didn't say, oh, the snobby church, or oh, the people that hate, you know, puppies. You know, whatever. So big's fine, whatever, sure. And I'm like, oh, that's cool, do you go anyplace? Because, uh, you know, I gotta ask that question. Um, and she's like, well, no, not really. Uh, I, I got a, a really good friend that goes to church in town, but I never really go to church. And I'm like, well, you, you can maybe go with that, that buddy of yours. She's like, oh, gosh, no, go to church? No, I'm, I, I don't want to do that. That's just, that's awkward. I'm, I wouldn't fit in. So what we see here is she is best friends with a Christian. She feels completely unwelcomed at a church. So what we can do is just live our lives around people that don't know Christ, have great friendships, have parties in our backyards, hang out with kids at the pool, befriend your, 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 that guy at work that nobody really wants to hang out with, but he needs a buddy. That we can actually become a family with non-Christians, that we can love on them, and that they would see that this condemnation or judgment's not a part of us, it's all about grace, and it's all about this idea that Jesus is the big deal, and we point to him, and we point to him, and we point to him, and they get excited, and then we become together, as in, we are on this journey. We, today, are one step closer to Jesus Christ than we were yesterday, and tomorrow, my prayer for us is that we're one step closer to Jesus. We become the body of Christ. We become ha having a better relationship with Jesus Christ. Instead of the toe the line, look like this, and then maybe we'll let you in. I think churches move in that direction. I see that in high school, junior high ministry. I see that with, with young people. Okay, if you're an outsider, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make you stand, because that's, mm. If you really truly feel like an outsider, if this is your first, second time, again, welcome. I'm glad you're here. I want you to hear just real quick two things. You are beyond loved. There is a God that literally has moved heaven and earth so that you might just get the understanding that you are loved. You are accepted. Right here, right now, you are loved. We serve a perfect God. Even though we as a family are not necessarily perfect ourselves, but we would love you to be a part. And we would love for you to go from the outside looking in and saying, wow, that kind of looks cool, I want some information. From the outside and the inside where we're all struggling on this journey, you're invited. And maybe, just maybe, I hope you leave with a little bit of grandma makeup right here. Because we've made you feel welcome, that we've shaken your hand, we've, we've, we've given you hugs. Church, what if we acted like that? What if this judgment, condemnation idea was just completely replaced by grace? How would that change our families, our jobs, our schools, B-Town? 
What if we were the crazy church on the south side? Big, but that crazy church that was looking after other people's goodness, setting them up for success instead of just looking in for ourselves. What if we were inviting the outsiders in because this whole thing is about God's kingdom? 